0: verse 1, the Bible said, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And all my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance, or bowed down to my sheaf, or... As we would say, uh, stalks of corn. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and behold, and, uh, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks. bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. The man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. I want to preach to you tonight on this subject, Joseph, the son. I don't think that there's any greater relationship used in or out of the Bible that depicts our connections to God any more than the father and the son relationship. It's used several times throughout the scriptures. I think about Abraham and Isaac, which was a relationship of faith. I think about the uh, prodigal son and his father, which speaks of a relationship of forgiveness. And then I see Jacob and Joseph, which speaks of a relationship of love, the father and the son relationship. And of course, it applies to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Joseph is a son, even as you and I, if we are born into the family of God, born of the Spirit of God, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You and I are children of our Heavenly Father, not by a natural birth, but by a supernatural birth, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Ye must be born again. And so I'm glad tonight that we are counted as children or sons of God. But I want you to notice three things in relationship between uh, Joseph and his father, and of course between us and our Heavenly Father. I want to point out to you first of all that I, I see uh, Joseph as a son in favor. Amen. Joseph is a son in favor. Now, I didn't say that. Verse number uh, 4 tells us, or verse number 3 tells us, now Israel loved... Joseph, more than all of his children. In other words, it seems to indicate to me that if there ever was a son that he was proud of, it was this boy. Uh, he was what we would say, he's, he's daddy's boy. You know, you get that first little boy that's born into the family, and daddy wants to train him to say that. Whose boy are you? Whose boy are you? You don't want him to say, I'm mama's boy. You want him to say, I'm daddy's boy. And, of course, this is what Jacob wants to happen with Joseph. He, he he attributes him as being daddy's boy, and he is a son in favor. Now, notice this favor in, in three ways. I notice that it is a favor that is, first of all, unmerited. Now, Joseph, as we noticed this morning, is one of 12 sons. He is the 11th son born... Uh, to his father Jacob and there have been 10 sons born into the family before he comes along. So there have been 10 times that Jacob has come into the tent after a mother has birthed a son into this world and he has looked upon that son from Reuben on down to Judah and Simeon and all the other 10 that are older than uh, Joseph is. But when he comes into the tent on this day and he looks upon this son, there's a different look in his eye. There is a different gleam and glow about him. You can tell that there is a there is a special feeling toward this son. The other mamas got to notice it, and the other boys got to notice it. No doubt that after Joseph was born, that Jacob didn't stay in the field as long as he used to. He just had a draw to him. He had to come back home to that boy. And he, he just wanted to be around that boy. Now I want to ask you a question. Was it because that uh, Joseph was stronger than his brothers, that his daddy looked upon him in favor? I don't think so. How can you tell which baby is going to be stronger than the other baby? Which son is going to be stronger than the other son? Or could it be that, uh, that uh, Joseph was much more intelligent than all the other sons. I don't think that's so either. Because I don't think you can go in and look at a child in its infancy and determine by looking upon that child as to how smart it is going to be or how intelligent it's going to be or how strong it's going to be or what all it's going to achieve in life. As far as Joseph is concerned, he's just another baby. He didn't have anything to do with that. He was born into this world without his own doings. And he was who he was, not by some kind of a a special inbred effect that he created himself or by some special effort of his own, he couldn't determine all of that. He couldn't determine what color his eyes would be, what color his hair would be. He couldn't determine anything about this. This had nothing to do with Joseph. It had everything to do with Jacob. The love was in Jacob's heart when he looked upon this boy. It it was not his fault that he was favored more than the others. He didn't do anything to get it. It just came his way. And so he was a son that that was favored, but it was an unmerited favor. Nothing that he earned within himself. And so it is with every son of God. There's nothing that you can do to deserve or to earn the favor and the grace of God. Amen. It wasn't because you were so uh, good or you were so attractive or you were so, uh, I'll tell you, capable. But God looked at you and said, I'll tell you, I-, I, bet you I, could, I bet he could really be good in the service of the Lord or in the kingdom of God. No, when God looked at you, he saw you as a sinner. He saw you as one who had transgressed, one who was on the road to hell. He saw nothing good in any one of us. It was not in us that caused the Father to love us, but it was in the Father. The Bible said we love Him, why? Because He first loved us. It is an unmerited favor. If you are saved tonight, You are saved by the grace of God. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's in the heart of the Father to love you. And aren't you glad that you're loved tonight uh, by the Father? I'm glad that I am. So it is is an unmerited favor. Not only that, I notice that it is an unquestionable favor. Now, I see two thoughts in this coat that is made. The Bible said in verse number 4, uh, that he made, or verse 3 again, he made him a coat of many colors. Now this coat was a, what was called a tunic. It was made kind of like my jacket here in that it came all the way down to the wrist, but the length of it came all the way down uh, to the ankles. It had an idea about it in that this wasn't a servant, who needed a short garment. But uh, this was one who, who was, uh, had position in the family. He was the one to be served. Amen. And it showed identity. It was like when, when uh, the, el- the, the uh, prodigal son came home and the elder, I mean the prodigal son's father, put the code on him. Uh, what he was doing was identifying that son with himself. It was like when Joseph was brought out of prison, the first thing that Pharaoh did was put a new coat upon him to identify him, a a fine vestured coat, the Bible said. What he was doing was identifying him with royalty and with the throne. And so when Joseph puts this coat on, that nobody else has one like it, everywhere he goes, Everybody that sees that coat and asks the question, why does he have a coat like that? And the answer would come, well, don't you know? That's Jacob's boy. And that's exactly what Jacob wanted everybody to know. He didn't want any, he wasn't going to hide the secret of it. He wasn't going to seclude it from anybody else. He wanted and didn't care who all knew it, that when you saw that boy, you saw Jacob's boy. That is daddy's boy. I believe this is the reason why that God gave us not only truth, but he gave us his spirit. Because it is his spirit that identifies us with him. It is the Holy Ghost that gives us the attributes of God and gives us the ways of God and causes us to be like God. The Holy Ghost is the only one that can do that. And when you're born of the Spirit of God, you take on the nature of God and you begin to act like God. You didn't do that before. You got His Spirit. And so He put His Spirit in you so you could be identified as one of His own. God's not ashamed of his young. And so, he loves you with a favor. It is an unmerited favor. It is an unquestionable favor. But it is also an unlimited favor. When, uh, When Jacob made this coat for this boy, you know what he was saying to all the other members of the family? He was saying to all the other members of the family, if I have anything to do with it, everything that I have will be in this boy's name. He was saying to all the other boys, I don't care what order you were born in, in my mind, he is the firstborn. And he is going to get the bulk of the inheritance. He is going to receive the blessing, just like I Received the blessing from my father Isaac. And he received the blessing from his father Abraham. And Abraham received the blessing from God. So this little boy is going to receive the bulk of the blessing. In other words, he said, anything that's mine is his. It is an unlimited favor. Isn't it amazing how God allows us and includes us in all that he has? And what a wonderful day it's going to be. Not only here does he do that, but when we get to heaven and see all that God has included us in. Now, somebody said, well, now wait a minute. Uh, That means that God's not fair. Well, that's not for you to worry about, nor me either one. Because, you see, the elder brother was caught up in that spirit. He told his daddy, he said, Daddy, you know what that boy's done, how he's wasted everything in righteous living. And then you're going to throw a party like you're throwing and kill the fatted calf. He said, "Daddy ain't right. That's just not fair. And the daddy, in essence, said back to him, Hey, listen, everything around here is for you too if you want it. And I'm going to have a party whether you like it or not because my son has come home. I'm glad that my father is not fair. My heavenly father is not fair. Is your God fair? Is he? If my God was fair, Jesus would have never died on the cross and I would have went to hell. But because of his love and his grace and his favor, he allowed his son who was innocent and his son who had never sinned to take my sin upon him that I might have his righteousness applied to me, and then he could tell everybody that is daddy's boy. That is daddy's boy. He is a son in favor. Aren't we God's children as a rule and result of God's favor? That's the only way. We are favored. The second thing I want you to notice with me is not only is he a son in favor, he is daddy's boy. He is loved without a reason. Boy, that is amazing to me. Joseph is loved. As a matter of fact, have you ever tried to define the reason for love? Can you tell me why you love your wife? Can you tell me why you love your husband? If you can tell me tonight why you love your husband, I can tell you why you will stop loving your husband. If you will tell me tonight, I, I'll tell you why I love my wife. The first time I saw her, she had that beautiful blonde or brunette or whatever, black hair and, and those beautiful blue eyes and she was had that tender skin and she was... Oh, well, I'm going to tell you something. What happens when the... Blonde hair, brown hair, brunette hair turns gray. What happens when the age marks come on and the eyes grow dim? Somebody said, oh, but I'm going to tell you what. I love my wife. She bakes the best biscuits in town. Well, what happens when she can't bake biscuits? Does that mean you don't love her anymore because she can't bake biscuits? You said you can't tell me why you love. Love is just something that happens. (laughs) <laughs> Isn't it? I can't tell you tonight why God loves me. I have no definition. I cannot define. I cannot explain why God loves me. But the good part of that is, is if I can't tell you why he loves me, I can't tell you why he would ever stop loving me. Amen. Amen, because his love is not based upon merit. Amen. It is based upon his favor. Amen. Mm. That's why I'm not worried about losing my salvation. Because I ain't trying to lose. I don't believe you can lose. Because I didn't do anything to gain it. It was a gift. It was a divine favor toward me. Nothing have I ever done to get God's favor. I'm not a Jehovah's Witness working on my way. to Wherever they're going. <laughs> Thoughts say glory, they can't even go there. No, I'm going, and I didn't even do anything to get there. Amen. Oh, Joseph is the favorite son, but he never done anything to get that position. Isn't that grace? Relax in your salvation. God ain't going to slap you around and take it away from you. He loved you when you were nobody, He loved you when you was a sinner. He loves you at your worst state. What makes you think he doesn't love you now? Hmm? He is a son in favor. He's daddy's boy. (laughs) I'm daddy's boy. Thank God. He's a son in favor. But can I say to you, secondly, not only is he a son in favor, but he is a son that has a function. He has a a responsibility in this relationship. Now, let me throw this at you. The father and son relationship is the simplest relationship that there is. It's already settled. The father loves the son. And the son doesn't have to do anything to attain the love of the father. It will always be there. But if he wants to keep that relationship on its simplest form... There is only one responsibility in the relationship of a father and son. You know what that is? It was sung about here tonight. Obedience. That makes life so simple. All you've got to do in the relationship of the father and son, children, listen to me tonight. If you want to keep life simple, and it is a simple life, all you got to do is obey. Yeah, Simple. Yeah, amen. <laughs> and, boy, you get all the benefits. Hey, listen, kids. You get all the cookies and the milk and the Coke, and you get the three meals, whatever's cooked, chicken and gravy and biscuits and taters, and you don't even have to know where it comes from or how much it costs. Amen. Son. Isn't that something? Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you're six years old here tonight, or if you're 15 years old, and some of you, if you're 23, 24 years old, if you live at home, I challenge you, tell me how much a gallon of milk costs. You don't know and you shouldn't have to know. You know why? Because your daddy's boy. You get all the milk you want and it's free. But the only thing that's connected to that, if you want to keep the relationship like it ought to be, just obey. See, you can imagine yourself, young boy, you just kick back there in the living room, you know, watching a ball game, eating your potato chips, reaching over and getting you some Oreo cookies, drinking all the milk you want, and Daddy passes through. He don't mind all that, but he says, son, take out the trash. Well, you want to keep it simple? If you want to keep it simple, you don't say, well, Dad, Johnny didn't take it out yesterday. <laughs> he don't want to hear that. He don't care. not care. All he wants to do, if you're going to eat his cookies and drink his milk, take the trash out. There won't be no argument about it. You want to keep it simple? Just get up right then. Go get the trash. Take it outside. Put it where it's supposed to go. Come back through. Grab you another pack of cookies and some more milk and go at it. When he comes through and says, Johnny, did you take the trash out? Sure did, Daddy. Okay, hand me one of them cookies. <laughs> Ain't that a simple life, Huh? I had a young couple, they were going to get married, and they was, the young lady, she was complaining. She said, man, if I know it, it's going to cost all this and all this trouble to get a house together and get it furnished and all that. I said, you want to keep it simple? She said, what? I said, don't get married, stay at home. Mama, Daddy takes care of all that. You don't have to worry about it. And can I say unto you tonight in the same sense that the Christian life is so basic it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be hard. All you've got to do is obey. If the Father don't say nothing, you don't do nothing. If he tells you to do something, you do something that's all you don't have to figure it out you don't have to plan it out you don't have to iron it out you don't have to work it out just obey i don't that make a christian life simple man i'll tell you i know a little bit about that i pastored 22 years i planned on pastoring all my life and the father said to me one day you're not trusting me i said what you mean lord he said you're going out here and preaching these meetings if they don't give you no offering, you just come back to church and you know church is going to take care of me. But you know where I want you. I want you out there preaching revivals. I said, Lord, I can't make it out there. I figured I'd have to make me a sign. Big old sign that says, We'll preach for food. <laughs> I, was st- I said, Lord, in my heart, I said, I'm just not going to do it. He said, You will do it too. Now, I'm going to tell you, for two years I lived the most miserable life that any person could ever live. I couldn't get away from it. And finally I said, Okay, Father, you win. And it's been so simple (laughs) since. He said, You just do what I tell you to do, I'll take care of the cookies and milk. (laughs) That's right. And uh, other than being anorexic, I'm all right. The soul with a function. What is it? Just do daddy's will. If you're daddy's boy, you don't have to find out what everybody else thinks about it. You don't have to seek out whatever everybody else thinks about it. Find out what daddy says and do daddy's will and then you'll be alright. That makes life simple, doesn't it? Amen. Yeah. Makes life simple. Just do what daddy said. Now there's a good outline here on obedience. I'm not going to preach it. I'll just throw it out to you. Notice with me, first of all, in verse number 10, and it's in verse number 11, the attachment of obedience, the attachment of obedience, the Bible said it's His Father, His Father. See, I don't, you don't obey somebody else's Father, you obey your Father. And the fact that there is this attachment, He obeys His Father. Now the reason why a lot of church folks are always bucking against the preaching of the word of God and bucking against the right things and the will of God and all this because they don't have a father. Right. At least God is not their father and so they have a hard time obeying him because he's not their father. I'm going to tell you, if he's your father, there is that desire in you to obey your father. is that, that relationship. Notice the answer of obedience. Not only the attachment, the answer of obedience. Verse 13. Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Daddy, that's too far. Well, Daddy, you know that's sixty miles. It's about what it was. Well, Daddy, you know how them boys feel about me, and I don't care much for them. And that's just, you know, I was, listen, Daddy knows all that. There's only one thing Daddy wants to hear. He don't want to hear what you think about it, how you feel about it. You are finite and He is infinite. You only know now. He knows yesterday and tomorrow. He has all that planned out. If you ask all the questions and you're all the time asking about the questions, you'll never do Daddy's will. I mean, I tried to figure out what would happen to my church if I left. I figured it would go straight down. Never phased it a bit. <laughs> I was worried what was going to happen to me and my youngins and all this other stuff. But as long as I wrestled with that, I wouldn't obey the Father. Finally, I just said, okay, Lord, it's your business. You know the end from the beginning. I'm going to obey. So when the daddy said unto him, go to your brethren, he said, look what he says there. Here am I. Well, that's the answer. That's the only thing God wants to hear out of you. He'll give you everything, He'll bless you with everything. And the only thing He wants to hear out of you is, Here am I. That's the answer of obedience. Notice the attitude of obedience. Verse 14. He said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren. Now, that's the attitude of obedience. What I mean by that is, is that if you're right with God, you don't go around like a secret service agent or the FBI trying to find everybody that ain't right with God so you can run them down. He said, go see if it's well with your brethren. Have you ever seen these Pharisees that thought they were right with God? They run around cussing everybody that they thought wasn't right with God. That's not the heart of it. If you're right with your father... You've got a heart that wants everybody else to enjoy the relationship that you're having with God. Not that you're picking on everybody. See, that guy, you know, he just quit smoking and he gets meaner than the devil. But it's God I quit. I don't know why the rest of these infidels don't quit. Well of the reason why you did is your wife made you. Then you're mad because they're getting to do it. But well, I'm going to tell you, the real spirit of it is, is if the Holy Ghost and the Father has helped you get over something like that, you have an attitude of prayer that others can enjoy getting over something like that. Amen. That God would help them over the hurdle. Amen. See, that's, that's the attitude. Here i notice the ache of obedience. There is a heartache sometimes in obedience. In verse 19, the Bible said, And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Now, he's not out there on his own mission, or Aaron, trying to do his own thing. But why is he down here? He is down here because the Father told him to go down there. But it is while he is down there that he experiences separation, he experiences suffering, he experiences servitude, he experiences solitude, he experiences all of that, not because he has disobeyed, but because he has obeyed the Father. This is the ache of obedience. Many times when you do the will of the Father, others won't like you because you do, but you do it in it day and we could have seen Joseph while he was put down in that pit and we could have went down into that pit and said to him Joseph what in the world are you doing down in this pit and his answer would have been something like this well I really don't know but I, I one day I was coming to the house and daddy said and I just knew what daddy told me and I ended up in a pit and then when he's in that caravan that's going down into Egypt, if we could, if we could run along that caravan and see him tied up there, and we could say, Joseph, what, what are you doing tied up here? He'd have said, Well, I, I don't know. I, I, Daddy told me. He said one day, he told me what to do, and I just did what he told me to do, and I ended up here. And then we could see him down in Egypt, and he's been bought, and 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 he's serving there for. Uh, all of those years and we could say, Joseph, you're not a slave. What are you doing in Egypt serving down here? And his answer would be, I don't know, i I've come through the house one day and Daddy said, and I, did, I just did what Daddy said and I've ended up down here. And then we can see him in prison, shackles on him, bleeding, heartache. We say to him, Joseph, what are you doing in prison, boy? So well, I don't know. One day I come through the house and Daddy told me to do something. I just did what Daddy said. And, and, and from, that, from that point on, it's, it's been all of this. <laughs> and then one day we see him sitting on a throne. He's got fine vesture. He's got jewels and rings and everybody's bowing to him. And we say to him, Joseph, Joseph. My goodness, how in the world did you get all of this glory and all of this wealth and all of this majesty? And he says, well, I don't know. I'm just coming through the house one day. <laughs> daddy said, and I did what daddy said. And- He said, I've ended up here. Can I say to you tonight, you'll never go wrong doing what Daddy says. No matter the road that you go through, God had a purpose in mind. He wanted to save his sons during the time of famine. And I'll tell you, when he obeyed the Father, he ended up being the Savior. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He learned obedience to the Father, and he died to save the world. It is obedience. Doing what the Father says. That's the only function that makes life so simple. Let me give you this and I'll move on to the last thought. I got a preacher friend in the mountains. His boys played uh, baseball and he coached the team that one of his boys was on. And he said they were playing in in an important game. And he said it was uh, like the last inning and, and they were down like a run and this old boy got up to bat he was going to be the, uh, the, the last to bat and he hit that ball man it went out into the uh, outfield and he took off a run said he hit first base and then he come around and he hit second base and, but then he started slowing down toward third base and he kept looking back toward the ball and whoever caught the ball he said every now and then he glanced over to me and said I was at third base and I was going like this. And he said, Preacher, what that means is, go, boy, go. Don't stop. Go. And he said, That old boy though said he just he'd look at me and he looked back. He looked at me and he said he stopped at third base. He said he never did make it home, they lost the game. And he said, I took him aside after that. And He said, Now, son, I'm gonna tell you something. I don't know whether you'd made it home or not. But he said, it wasn't your business to look at that ball. It was your little business to look at me. I'm the coach. And he said, you know, we've already taught you that when I go like that, you run, boy, run. And he said, if you get out, it won't be your fault. It'll be my fault. You just do what I tell you to do and it'll keep it simple. Amen. Amen. That is the simplicity of the... Of the function of a child. He's daddy's boy. And all he's got to worry about is daddy's will. Amen. But then the last thought I want you to notice with me. Not only is a son in favor. And a son with a function. But he is also a son with a future. He is under daddy's care. Daddy's going to take care of his boy. Now, I notice this in these dreams. Look at verse number 5. He has these dreams. And these dreams are about his future. Notice verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. But he told them what the dream was. He said, it's kind of like stalks of corn. And he said, all your stalks bow down to my stalks. And they said, well, the audacity of that, I can't believe that. You mean to tell me you think that we are going to bow to you and serve you, not on your life? He said, well, I'm just telling you what my dream was. But he went to bed and he had another dream. And in that dream it was about the moon and the stars and the sun. And, he said, they all bowed and made obeisance unto him. Boy, that really infuriated them. They just couldn't believe that that was the way his dream was. But but what his dream was about was how how things were going to unfold in his future. Because you remember in the latter story of the book of uh, uh, Genesis, uh, when Joseph... Gets on the throne in the land of Egypt and his brethren come down there. The Bible said that they didn't even know who he was. But they all bowed to him and the Bible said he remembered his dream. That they would all bow to him. So it was a dream right here at 17 years old. It was a dream that included everything from 17 all the way through to the end. All the years that it would encompass. Now, this dream was not a dream that was as a result of eating garlic and onions. This dream was an inspired dream. God gave him this dream. It was a divine, sovereign dream of which God was showing to Joseph in that moment that he was going to take care of everything. Inspired dream. Because God was the resource of it. It was a resistant dream. I mean by that it was immutable. There would be nothing that Joseph would ever go through that would ever change one iota of his future that God was revealing unto him. No storm that he would ever go through. No situation that he would ever face. No hardship. That anyone would ever thrust against him would ever change God's purpose in his life. It was unchangeable. It was immutable. It was resistant to anything that anybody could do. His future was set as God had said it. Well, that's a blessing to know that nothing in this world can change the course that God has for your life. But you know, there there are a couple of things that I I notice about this dream that is important to me tonight. I'm talking about the future. Joseph is a son with a future. And I see it in these dreams. I notice, first of all, the rest of his future. What do you mean, preacher, by the rest of his future? Well, R-E-S-T. I mean by that, when, when do you dream? Uh, we dream at a point in time in which we are uh, least active. Everything about us has slowed down almost to a, as close to a, a halt as you can come. The uh, metabolism, uh, the blood pressure, the heart rate, In other words, when you are dreaming, you are as inactive as you will ever be, unless you're dead. (laughs) And then you're not dreaming. But isn't it amazing? At the point in time of which Joseph's whole future unfolds. And you know when we think that our future is going to unfold? When we get it figured out. We think that our future is dependent upon us and we're going to have to do something to make sure that tomorrow is going to turn out all right. And we somehow feel that if we don't do it, then there's not going to be any hope in our tomorrows. And you're sitting here tonight, and we're all guilty of it, that we are counting on a lot of things to determine how our future turns out. See, all God wants you to do Let Him be your Father. Trust Him. Trust His Son in salvation. Just simply obey Him and go to bed. While you're sleeping, He'll take care of your tomorrows. And you won't have to worry about the IRAs and and all these other things and Social Security and all that other stuff. Because He's got the tomorrows taken care of all you get to do is sleep. Go home, take you a nap. If you're having some real severe problems and struggles tonight, go home and get you some sleep. Rest in the Lord, the Bible said, and brag not. Amen. Of course, the downside of that is you don't have nothing to brag on after it's done. And that's part of the problem we have. But, I see the rest of his future. (laughs) He's just sleeping. And while he's there sleeping, in that state of sleep, God Almighty is taking care of every second of his life. Boy, isn't that amazing? I tell you, there's a lot in life that we can't do anything about if we just confess it. Just rest in it, that the Lord will take care of it. He promised he would the rest of his future and the reach of his future i I close with that the bible said he gave him a dream about an earthly situation with the corn stalks and so on and then he gave him a dream about a heavenly situation with the moon and the stars and what he's saying to him joseph i've got everything taken care of down here and after it's over with down there i've got everything taken care of up here i've got all the bases covered if you'll just just go on. I just remember. And Joseph clung to that through every situation that he faced. He believed and he told his brethren, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. God's in charge of all this. God's got it all planned. There's nothing you can do, but God's already taken care of it. What's a blessing to know that no matter what circumstance and situation or place that you are in, that God, in charge and the only thing he wants you to do is rest in it, rest in it, rest in the Lord. I heard, uh, I close with this, I heard an old preacher preaching by the name of Joe Parsons had a big impact on my life. He said that uh, he was preaching in this meeting And he noticed a lady in the church that she was real restless and just wasn't getting into the meeting. So he said the next day they went by her house and he said, Sister, why don't you come to the meeting tonight? And she said, well, Brother Joe, I've been there every night. He said, well, I know you have physically, but spiritually your mind's been somewhere else and he said the dear lady began to cry and she said joe it's my son said i i'm so worried about him said i tried to teach him and train him right but said far as i know he's the biggest sinner in the area right now drinking and running around and said it's just tore the heart out of me i can't stand it he said well now sister you know there ain't lot you can do about that but said why don't we just get down here in the floor? And why don't we just turn it over to one that can take care of her? And Brother Joe said they got down in the floor and they began to pray. And he said after a little bit, he knew things had changed because she was a shouting woman. He said he heard her begin to shout. Woo! Woo! He said she out come of that off of that floor and went around through the living room. She got the victory and turned it over to the Lord. She was a shouting. All week long, the, as long as the meeting lasts, said you kept coming back to church, said you just shouted the place down. He said, "I meeting closed and left out of there. In about two years, Brother Joe said, I come back through there and said, I stopped at a little store there, one of the members owned it. I got to ask him about the church. He said, then I asked him about the, uh, the lady, the older lady. He said, how's she doing? Oh, Joe said she's doing fine. Still doing good in church every Sunday, shouting it out. He said, well, what about her son? Now listen, they said, what about her son? The one that was so wicked and wild. Oh, they said, Joe, you hadn't heard. Said, about a year after you come through here. Said, God saved that old boy and said he's the biggest preacher in two or three counties. God took care of what she couldn't handle. I don't care what you've heard lately. The Lord wants you to rest and let him take care of it. I'm daddy's boy, doing daddy's will in daddy's care.